0: Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abound it and the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves <laughs> to the Lord, and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, So there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. We're happy to have a brother Gary McBride at this time. We're going to turn the remainder of our Bible instruction time over
1: to him. Brother Gary, please. Thank you, Billy. Let's turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. As we've been working uh, through 2 Corinthians, uh, we're jumping ahead to these two chapters, uh, 8 and 9. And part of it is, this is why... Uh, Paul was writing to these uh, these people. There are several reasons uh, for his, uh, his writing uh, here. He, of course, uh, is explaining why he didn't come right away. He tells them uh, why he delayed his, his coming to them. He wanted them to work things out and things to be right and ready for his uh, coming to them. But another reason he wrote is found in these two chapters, and that is these people had promised... Uh, to collect uh, an offering for uh, the saints who were suffering in in uh, Israel and Judea, and so they'd made that promise the previous year, and now Paul wasn't sure that they're going to follow through. He didn't know if they would uh, they would be true to their their word, and so he's writing here to to encourage them to follow uh, through. But in doing that, he talks about giving, and he talks about uh, some wonderful principles in terms of of, uh, of giving. And so uh, it's a, a great uh, passage from a practical point of view that uh, we can look at and say, okay, here are some lessons we can learn. There's sort of a progression through it. He starts with what Ty read of some examples. And these uh, perhaps two examples we can think of 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 the macedonians and then the example of the lord jesus christ himself and so it seems based on what he says later in the chapter that there's a possibility that several of the people from macedonia may accompany him to corinth and he said that's going to be really embarrassing if they've given and i've told them you've promised to give and we come and you aren't ready there's no response so he said that's going to be an embarrassing thing so he says i've boasted i've told them what you're going to do, so I hope you're going to follow through. But he gives us this example in the first few verses about uh, the Macedonians. And that's a, a great example uh, of, their, of their sacrificial giving. And you notice, even as it was read to us, uh, some of the words there in verse 2 they were in great affliction, a trial of affliction, uh, deep poverty, and yet there was joy. And liberality that is they gave generously and so we'd look at those things and say well that doesn't seem to, to fit together but they gave out of their out of what they didn't have really uh, they gave out of a uh, heart as he says at first in verse uh, 5 they gave themselves first to the will of God and then uh, they gave so th- these people weren't well off but they wanted to uh, to give and so, Paul presents them as an example. They even, it says they begged Paul to take, uh, so it would seem that Paul didn't want to take their money, uh, considering their situation, but they begged them to take something for these suffering saints in another, another place. And so, tremendous example of, of sacrificial giving. It's not that they had it, but they wanted to, to give and to share in this work. Now, in this example as well, he uses the word grace a number of times, and you perhaps recognize that as it was read to us, the word grace. And the thought is that uh, giving is an act of grace, and it's a work of grace. And so, you know, we talk about what the flesh does, and in the flesh we can do all sorts of things. But Paul emphasizes through his writings that we want to be led and directed by the Spirit of God motivated by God's love and ministered to by His grace. And so it talks about this grace, the grace of, of giving, and it has got to be a, a willing uh, a willingness to it. So he presents them as a wonderful example of sacrificial uh, giving. But then he also talks about the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 9. And this is a great verse. I'm sure most of us have uh, read it many times or heard it, many times we know don't we the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might become uh, rich That's so true isn't it you think of what we have in christ compared to where we were before christ the riches uh, that we have he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings and uh, we function in philippians 4 according to his riches In glory in Christ Jesus and so we've come into uh, wonderful bounty and provision the blessing of Christ through his poverty as I was thinking of this verse I was reminded of the uh, the hymn that says he left the splendor of heaven knowing his destiny was a lonely hill called Golgotha there to give his life for me if that isn't love the chorus says then Uh, there's no stars in the sky, the ocean is dry, the sparrow can't fly if that isn't love. But the second verse says, even in death he remembered the thief hanging by his side. He spoke with love and compassion, and he took him to paradise. You think of the poverty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hanging there on the cross, he has absolutely nothing of this world's goods, nothing of value. He who created all things, who is the Lord of glory, the creator of the universe... The sustainer of all things. There he's hanging on the cross, and they take his garments and they raffle them off. They gamble for them. Poverty, left nothing. But you think of the thief by his side. He spoke with love and compassion and took him to paradise. That morning, that thief was in prison. That night, he was in paradise. What a transformation. That morning, he was a criminal. That night, he was a citizen of heaven. That morning, he was a sinner separated from God. That evening, he was a saint, part of the family of God. Through his poverty, and that's true of all of us, we've been made rich. And so he presents the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we outgive him? No, never. Not at all. He gave his all so that we might be rich. And so we are rich and enriched in Christ. And so, He presents those examples as he's trying to stir up their their minds. Now, Paul makes it clear that he's not just appealing to an emotional response. I think we all have seen or heard or experienced perhaps even uh, emotional responses or asking for giving, where people are uh, pleading and they're presenting pictures and cases uh, so that you would be moved uh, to give. Uh, tugging on the heart's you know, the, your heartstrings—that type of, uh, type of thing. Uh, Paul's not doing that. He's presenting these examples, but he's he's giving a very balanced approach. But he, he gives then he goes into in the next section from verse from verse eight down to the end of the chapter. He gives him an exhortation, and in this exhortation, there's some wonderful practical uh, lessons uh, for us. He talks about Titus. In, in verse uh, 16. We can't take time to read all these uh, verses. But Titus had a care and a concern for them. Now, it wasn't expressed monetarily, but it was expressed in his, his actions, his care and concern uh, for them. And so uh, he talks about that as a motivation, our care and concern uh, for for others. But he also talks about uh, what we might say is due diligence and that's an important thing as well. He talks about taking with him, as they give the gift, he talks about taking with him somebody else, a brother who's approved from Corinth, so that they can see how the money is dispensed and dispersed at the other end. Now, you would think of this in a sort of a normal way. You'd think, well, you can trust the apostle Paul. I mean, of all people, you could trust him. If he says he's going to take the money, obviously he's going to take the money. But Paul says, no, uh, you're going to send with me this brother who's, who's well-reported of, who's respected by you. He'll come, and he'll be able to report back to you uh, where that money uh, went. And there's a really important principle in our handling of the, the funds, what we might call the, for the Lord's work and the Lord's money, is the sense of due diligence and accountability. Uh, it's so important for sake of testimony and in case things go wrong. And there's so many examples in the evangelical world of people who have mishandled money because there is no accountability. Uh, James McDonald, head of Harvest, uh, he was put out because of the way he handled money, a lack of accountability. Uh, Back to Jimmy Baker, there was many things, but one of them was his lack of accountability and the way uh, he used uh, money. Hillsong is having troubles because of uh, the way the money uh, is spent. Uh, There's a very large church north of Toronto called the Pear Palace and time and time again they've been investigated by the tax department in Canada because of the way they uh, they handle uh, the money. Uh, The the family at the top uh, is worth millions and millions and millions of dollars and there's no accountability. Uh, Nobody's checking up and then finally the tax department does an audit and say where's this money going? They found out that 80% 80% of the income, and there's 3,000 people go there, is going to the family at the top and not going to charitable work. Well, if you're going to be a charity in Canada, a certain percentage has to go to uh, charitable uh, work. And so the lack of accountability is, a, is a, a big thing. But he also exhorts them to carry through on what they, they promised. And so in verse, uh, verse 9, he gives that example, uh, of course, But uh, verse 8, he he talks about the sincerity of your love. And so follow through. You said it, be sincere. Uh, Verse 10, what you planned, uh, carry it out. Verse 11, complete what you said you were going to to do. And uh, do it rationally as well. And so there's exhortation there. Here's, Here's what you said, here's what you should do, here's how you should plan and do diligence that you should take and take care uh, in these these things. Now, as a matter of generosity, he says uh, in chapter chapter 9, verses 1 to 5, he talks about how they should should give. I want to go back to Exodus 35 for a moment because there's a, a principle there. Exodus 35. And this has to do with with the tabernacle and collecting material for the tabernacle. And so in verse 2, we we'll read verse 1, Then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, These are the words which the Lord commanded you to do. And so it goes on to give some commands. And then in verse 4, And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord. And so it was a command. But then twice in this chapter, the next phrase is found. Whoever is of a willing heart. And so the Lord says, Here's the command. You're to bring material so the tabernacle can be built. But, he says, only if you have a willing heart. Now, the Lord loves a cheerful giver we see in 2 Corinthians. And so he only wanted the gifts from those who were willing to give it. And so that's very different than the world's philosophy. Uh, the Lord says, here's, here's what's needed, here's the command, but only if you have a willing uh, heart. A matter of generosity. So back to, to 2 Corinthians. And We'll just read from verse chapter 9, verse 1, down to verse 5. Now concerning... The ministering to the saints, it's superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yes, I've sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready, that if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting." Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time, prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it might be ready as a matter of generosity and not as grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So it's the Lord's will that we give, but he wants a willing heart. He wants a cheerful giver. And so that's Paul's expert, exhortation. I'm reminded of a little poem. I'm not sure I can remember all the, the rhyme to it, but it's about a, it says, there was a, a, a consecrated uh, deacon whose, uh, dedicated deacon whose consecration was complete in every area of life except, except his pocketbook and when the offering box came by, he'd put his nickel in, and then he'd sing with might and main. It gives us, when we asunder part, it gives us inward pain. And so, <laughs> somebody has said that your spirituality can be measured by two things, your, your date book and your checkbook. And so, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And so, Paul exhorts them. And again, I would suggest that he's, he's not Uh, you know just appealing to their emotion he's appealing to what they had promised and he's appealing to the reality of the situation and the embarrassment uh, that would be uh, that would be there and so he gives an example he gives some exhortation but then he gives encouragement in giving and uh, starting at verse 6 in chapter 9 some of these verses uh, we read about sowing and reaping and, and being a cheerful giver now one of the principles in scripture and in life, of course, is that what you sow, you reap. Right? That's that's a given. It's true in life in general, but it's true in the spiritual realm. We read in Galatians six, uh, fourteen, or, or six, verse seven, rather. Uh, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. And that's true in life. If you waste your money uh, early on, you're going to suffer later on. It's just a fact of of life. It's been said that the law of the uh, reaper is that uh, you're going to reap what you sow, you're going to reap later than you sow, and you're going to reap more than you sow. When you plant a garden, you put one seed, you expect more than one tomato. Uh, Depends where you live, of course, but uh, you get more uh, than you sow. And so it's true in the spiritual realm. And he applies that then to this act of of giving that... uh, as we, as we give, the Lord will bless. Now, some people, uh, and you may have heard you know, some in the what's called the health and wealth gospel or prosperity gospel, they will use Old Testament verses to try to um, encourage or even compel giving. Uh, sometimes they'll talk about tithes. There are groups, uh, some of the cults, who will insist that people give a tenth of their income, and they'll even do an audit. Uh, of your uh, income to make sure you're giving uh, a tenth. Now, we sometimes use the word tithe. A tithe is an Old Testament word. It literally means a tenth. It's never used in the New Testament in a positive uh, sense. We're never asked to bring a tithe. The New Testament talks about having fellowship. Paul says that uh, in Philippians chapter 4. He talks about sharing, about fellowship. Uh, Here it's referred to as a gift, and so it's not a matter of a, of a tithe. It's a matter of what you, what you purpose in your heart. But one of the verses that I've heard used is from Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, that says, uh, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now with this, uh, says the Lord. I'll open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. Well, that's to Israel. It's not to us. And God has never promised that if you, you know, if you put $100 in the offering, 300 will turn up in your bank account. Uh, there are people that say that, and you can hear it every week on television. If you, if you give financially, the Lord will prosper you financially. There's no such promise in the New Testament. Uh, the Lord doesn't say that we'll prosper ever financially or materially in the New Testament. For Israel, it was true. As they walked in obedience to the Lord... Uh, The land would prosper. Things would happen. But on the other hand, when they disobeyed, uh, the land experienced famine, and they were put out of the land for 70 years. So in the Old Testament, this was true for them. If they put the Lord first, gave their tenth, then the Lord would bless them. Our blessings are not physical and material. They're spiritual. Uh, The Lord is working in us for uh, that reason. And so he tells them a number of things. He tells them to give cheerfully, but he also tells them to give purposefully, not a tithe, but purposefully. Let me suggest that as you go through life, what you give in a percentage basis may may change. When you're first married and you have expenses and you have children to care for, uh, you may be more limited. When you get to the age of some of us, you may... Uh, have more opportunities uh, to give. You don't have the, well, you have grandchildren to buy for, perhaps, but you don't have the same uh, type of expenses. And so, uh, you know, your house may be paid for and other things, and so you have more disposable income. So he says, give purposely. Uh, Look at how the Lord has prospered you and give uh, purposely uh, out of that, not just a, a tenth. But he talks about giving liberally as well, being generous, As we give and again the example of the Lord Jesus he gave his all and so we should give generously as as well and then we should give gracefully as well this is uh, this is a grace but going back to the idea of of, uh, sowing the Bible calls us tells us to use our money wisely So I mentioned before Luke 16, verse 9, that when your money fails, you use your money for the gospel. When it fails, you will have friends who will receive you into everlasting habitations, receive you in heaven. So we use our money uh, for the Lord's work and it touches the lives and hearts of people. Then uh, you may meet somebody in heaven who is thankful that you gave. You may never see them or know them here, but up there. You will see them. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul here is talking about a man or a woman of God and the marks of such a a person. And so in verse 17, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or proud, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. That's quite a list, isn't it, of what we're to do. So those who are rich in this age, uh, he talks earlier in the chapter about the love of money being the root of all evil. And then here he talks about not trusting uh, in those riches, but in the living God, but to be willing uh, to do good, rich in good works, ready to share, willing to share, and in doing so, storing up a foundation, a good foundation in heaven, laying hold of eternal life. Now, twice in this chapter, he uses that phrase, to lay hold of eternal life, make it real here and now. Don't wait to heaven, make eternal life real in your life here and now. And part of it is what we do with our our finances, and so willing to share. Uh, Many of you perhaps know the name of George Mueller. George Mueller uh, ran orphanages in Bristol in in England, and uh, at the height of it, I think there was 2,200 orphans in those those homes. And obviously a lot of money passed through his hands, but it's said that uh, in today's terms, with inflation in view and everything that's happened, uh, about eight million dollars passed through his hands for the lord 's work that 's a lot of a lot of money that went through his hands, but he dispersed it. He died with very little left behind uh, in his own personal account it went to the went to the lord 's uh, work, and so uh, he would tell us to be ready to to share and so that should be true of us as well and so <clears throat> Not only does he uh, give us exhortation, but he gives us this encouragement as well that we should be ready to share. Now, one of the things the Lord has called us to do is good works. That's part of what the Christian life is. In fact, look at Titus. Uh, There's three times good works are mentioned in Titus. Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 14 speaking of the death of the Lord Jesus it says who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous of good works and so part of the reason for our salvation we are a unique people unto himself but what should mark us is zealous of good works uh, Matthew five seventeen. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and so glorify your father who is in heaven so we've been saved to do good works look at chapter 3 of Titus verse 1 remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey to be ready for every good work that should characterize us look at verse 8 this is a faithful saying and these things I want to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. And so that should be true of us. And then look at verse, verse 14. And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. And so the idea of being fruitful but maintaining good works. You know, uh, the Lord Jesus talked about being the vine and talked about being fruit being produced through us. And fruit in the New Testament is seen in a number of, of ways, primarily in character. And so the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, that's what we become. That's what God's looking for, a transformed life. But Paul also talked about going to Rome and having fruit there. That is sharing the gospel and seeing people one for Christ. He talked about... The fruits of righteousness, the way he lived his life, the way we live our lives, uh, again is fruit to the glory of God. Hebrews 13, it talks about the fruit of our lips, even praise to God, what comes out of our mouth. But in Philippians 4, and again here, the intimation is that we, as we give, that's fruit to our account as well. In Philippians, Paul says, I'm not, just, I'm not looking for another gift from you, but I'm looking for fruit to abound to your account. And so there's another area of life where God is looking for a return, because of what He's done in our life, He's looking for uh, that uh, that return. And so good works as we give, it's part of what we are called uh, to do. so this is, as you think through this, this is uh challenging because it uh, it talks about very practical aspects of life what What do we do? Uh, With our money, how do we live? So, back to 2 Corinthians. And we, not only is it a good work, but it evokes a grateful response. He talks about how others uh, view this. And so, He talks about others, uh, for instance, in chapter 9, verse 12, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. And so as we meet the needs of others, their response is gratefulness, thanks to God for what, what they've received. And so our act of giving does more than just meet the physical need. It causes a spirit or attitude of gratefulness, glorifies God. So again, we mentioned in Philippians chapter 4, that's the, the issue uh, there, that uh, fruit to abound to your account, God would be glorified uh, through our giving. So it's sort of radical. In fact, here at the, uh, in verse 13 of chapter 9, well, through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ. And so God receives the glory. We're giving, but the Lord receives the glory. There is a, I think sometimes we miss the the principle. You know, when, when you give to the Lord, that's who you're giving to. And then the Lord gives to the organization or the person or the ministry. You're not giving this direction. You're giving to the Lord. And then the Lord is supplying the need. And in that way, he's glorified. Uh, one of the things, and I'm sure Mike and Don can relate to this, is uh, in what we do, uh, you soon recognize that it's the Lord who takes care of you. you. You don't look to people. If you do, you'd be disappointed, or you'd be surprised. But as you look to the Lord, you recognize that the Lord can move hearts. Uh, many times over our life in ministry, we've see, received gifts that are anonymous. It means you don't know who who has given, but you thank the Lord for his, his provision, that he's taken uh, care of us. And so we can glorify uh, the Lord, and it comes to, or it rebounds to his glory. And so our giving can have that purpose. So it's a good work, but it also causes gratitude on the part of others. They're grateful for your supply, but then ultimately God receives the glory uh, from it. And so uh, that should be an encouragement in our, in our giving, that it has a tremendous uh, purpose to it. So as you look at these things, you can recognize, well, well, Paul isn't pulling the gain on heartstrings. He's just giving a very balanced and reasoned approach. Why should we give? Well, you have the example of the Macedonians, you have the example of of Christ, you have that exhortation of how it should, how it should all work out. And then you have this encouragement that, it should happen. Now, the last verse of chapter 9, he comes back to what God has given to us. And there's. It's in English, it would be a play on words. Uh, thanks is the word grace, and gift at the end of that verse is the word grace as well. Uh, it wouldn't make much sense to us uh, in English to say, uh, grace to God for his indescribable grace. And so, the translators have put it this way, thanks be to God for his indescribable grace. Uh, gift. Uh, thanks, when we say thanks, sometimes we would say, let's say grace before we eat, as to give thanks. And so we are to be thankful to God for His indescribable gift. And you think of the fact that He's given us more than, than we could ever give back to Him. It's an indescribable gift. Just meditate on that word this week, His indescribable gift. And We say a lot about the Lord Jesus Christ at the Lord's Supper this morning. We said a lot about him, but there's far more than we could ever describe. It's an indescribable gift. Through his poverty, we've been made rich. And so what a, what a blessing. So as you think of this, and perhaps you might read these chapters this week, and just think of how practical Paul is in his presentation of giving and how important it is. It's, a, it's not just a physical thing, but it really is a spiritual activity. And I hope you view it that, we, that way. So it's not just a matter of, I've got to do this. I mean, there are things we've got to do out of necessity. I think if we're part of a, a, you know, a group, you look at the, the physical needs, and you say, well, I'm, I'm one-tenth of that, or I'm one-twentieth of that, I do have a responsibility, just in a physical sense. The place has got to have lights, it's got to function. Uh, here you have to have air conditioning now and again. Uh, so there is a, a practical sense, but beyond that, we should give because the Lord has prospered us, and we want to give purposely, and we want to give uh, for his glory, and we want to give in response to all that he's done for us. So it puts our giving, I think, on a different plane than what the world would look at and what many of the evangelical world would look at as well, that uh, it's, it really is a ministry. It really is a good work that glorifies God. So Sometimes the Lord will just encourage you uh, with that. I'm not asking for funds, just <laughs> explaining God's word uh, to us. Uh, let's pray. Father, we uh, do thank you for your word. We think about practical, uh, Paul was in his presentation, uh, just to make sure that the Corinthians followed through on their commitment but also, just to encourage us with the value of giving, the fact that there's evidence of fruit in our giving. It's a good work that brings the glory to you and produces gratitude in the lives of others. And so, Father, help us to see this from a heavenly perspective. There's so much in the world that would distort this. And, Father, yet we want to be obedient to your word. And so, work in our hearts and lives to that end. We thank you again for this time together and for your goodness to us. We thank you for the indescribable gift, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, who loved us and gave himself for us. And so we thank you and praise you in his name. Amen.